Well, it's that time of the week again. It's Wednesday, which means it's time for the Policy Wonk Podcast. I'm Joe. And I'm Kale. What are we talking about today, Joe? Well, I have a few things that I want to talk about today. So in Cleveland, the REI store in Beechwood voted to unionize overwhelmingly. Um, statewide, the uh, an organist, uh, an activist group has filed a amendment with the attorney general to protect abortion um, nationally. Uh, Tennessee has passed an anti-drag bill, and internationally, uh, the there have been protests in Israel over Benjamin Netanyahu's proposed changes to the country's Supreme Court. Nothing, nothing intergalactic this nothing, time. Nothing, at least not yet. No, you know, waiting for the day. Once, waiting for the day. Once the intergalactic empire is established, then <laughs> our job gets a lot harder. Or easier. I mean, there would probably be intergalactic news every week i don't know yeah okay so before we begin uh i just wanted to take a moment to talk about our new website Mm -hmm. joe have you seen it i have i was hoping you would say you have whoever made it did a really good job i wonder who did that i don't know who did that i don't know (laughs) but anyways (laughs) um without a certain amount of people uh specifically donors that joe has labeled wonks or what'd you say Policy wonks. Policy wonks. Uh, it wouldn't be possible. So I just want to give a thank you to uh, our producer, Jaden Stambolia, Erica Bush, Vikas Sabi, and Adam Royko. They are our founding donors for the show. All right, let's get into it. Joe, what does REI stand for? REI. I don't know. It's a store. It's, a, it's an outdoors store. It's I think it's Recreational Equipment, Inc. I think that's what it is. I think... Yeah, that actually is what it is. It says in the, from what I'm reading off of, um, from the Cleveland scene, um, the process to unionize REI has been a months long process, at least in Beechwood. Um, 37 workers at REI's Cleveland store uh, voted in favor of unionizing, and you know part of the reasons why they wanted to unionize is that they were said they were being paid unfair wages, poorly structured hours, and, um, you know, other work-related uh, issues. So, Joe, you, you've been through a retail unionization process, right? Yeah. At what, what location? At Starbucks. On West 6th Street, right? Uh, yep, downtown. So, explain the process. So, basically... Before you have a vote, you you have to talk to your coworkers about like, hey, you know, what if we what if we did unionize? How do you feel about that? And then you get into contact with whatever union you want to organize with, whether it's like the communications union, United Steelworkers, United Auto Workers, whatnot. And then you go into the process of getting people to sign union cards. Now Those union cards, once people have signed them, once a certain percentage of people have signed them at your workplace, it authorizes, um, like, the election to occur because it shows that there's support for a union vote to happen. Um, And then, 
you know, depending on how your company reacts, either they can re voluntarily recognize the union or they're going to push back against you, which is what happened at Starbucks. Um, the NLRB will set a date for the vote and then those employees vote, the decision's made, and then, you know, you start bargaining. So the REI employees uh, are represented by the RWDSU. Do you know what that stands for? I don't. I think it's a retail workers union, though. So this says the retail, wholesale, and department store unions. What union are you affiliated with at so Starbucks? Starbucks Workers United is part of Workers United, um, which is an affiliate of the SEIU. So I, it's, I, I understand yeah. that the REI employees seeking unionization were – you said it, was, it took months, right? Mm -hmm. There was a lot of union busting going on, was there not? There was. I can't remember the specific allegations, but um, I, th I believe there was a case – I think it was in uh, – Soho, where employees were actually, I think, let go for their union activism, um, which you see this happen at other, you know, chain department stores or chain like fast food places. Um, but they come up with a with another reason to fire the employee without specifically stating, oh, it's because they were unionizing because that's illegal. <laughs> So this article from the Cleveland scene says that um, sales leads are supervisors and that they were not allowed to vote 55 employees at the REI in Beachwood. We're not allowed to vote in the union election. See, so like, for example, at Starbucks, we have our shift supervisors who were allowed to vote in, um, in our union election because they're technically not managers they're just they help deal with day-to-day -day operations so i guess in rei's case they were more um managerial and like management than you know other companies so joe just because i'm curious i mean i know the answer to this question but i'm also curious it's what you have to say what are the benefits of being in a union well, for one, and I think one of the biggest things is that you actually have a say in how your companies run, right? You have a legally binding document that outlines, you know, processes of, um, like, promotions, dealing with uh, things like workplace complaints, but also it deals with what people usually hear about the most in a union is wages and health care and uh, other benefits like economic benefits but like I said I think the biggest thing is that you actually have a legal document that you can hold your company accountable to instead of just promises made by your manager plus you have a you have a group of employees that together can push for change and you know, a group of 50 people is more powerful together than just one person going to a manager and asking for a raise. I get that argument a lot that, um, oh, I have more sway 
when with manager with not managership with leadership than the union does. Rah, rah, rah. It, it just I get that so often. It's also I I can understand the argument, but it's also it doesn't really make sense. One voice is not as powerful as fifty. It also it kind of feels almost like pulling the ladder up behind you. Yeah. You might get to this comfy position. You might get a comfy contract, but your coworkers don't. Mm-hmm. And your coworkers do the same job as you. So, I mean, collective bargaining is what's why it's called that. It's the reason why there's power in a union. Yeah. I was so happy to say that. I've waited to <laughs> say that in public for so often. But so often for so long. Yeah, like you're right. I mean, if you're getting if you're making a really good wage, you should want your other coworkers to make that same wage because all of you are doing your best in your job. It doesn't make sense to pay someone more than another person doing the same job, you know? So in, in, in us history, there was a real big <clears throat> labor movement about a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. Since then union membership has been going up and down. It's basically been on the decline since like what the eighties and like within the last couple of years, it's going back up. Mm-hmm. I feel like, during the Reagan presidency and every basically everyone since, there's been a promotion of the idea of rugged individualism in the United States, yeah. which like it's always been a thing. Pioneers going across the plains to get out west, but at the same time, those people, those same people, would get a job in the mines and then they would unionize. Yeah. See, so I'll, that's a really good point. So. I think, and this is something that I actually am very interested in for my communications minor. Um, Students, after they graduate, and even like high school students, when they get their first job, are taught to see themselves as like a business, right? They see themselves as offering a service to their employer, which is true, but it reinforces that idea of rugged individualism, All every man for himself, it's just about me. And I think, I think we're both in agreement that the decline in union membership definitely correlates with Ronald Reagan's presidency. I think a lot of things correlate with Reagan's presidency, but yeah, I mean, you know, the way that he treated air traffic control workers, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, shout out to my grandpa, Joe, former uh, United Steelworkers president. Also Uh, Joe? Also Two Joes? Two Two Joe Nappies? He is my namesake. Phenomenal. Um, He, that man hated Ronald Reagan. Good. He hated Ronald Reagan. Good. He big union guy. God bless him. You're telling me he's not a big fan of the Iran Contra affair? No. 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 Not a big fan of Ollie North. Mm. Okay. But <laughs> um I was talking about the history and um how recently union membership, especially in the Midwest, has been going up a little at least just a little bit. Yeah. And I feel like it's largely these like retail workers who are all younger millennial, older Gen Z, we grew up in a time, we, we had to deal with the recession. Yeah. We dealt with the pandemic. We're the post 9-11 kids. And we grew up with a sense of community that people who grew up in the 80s, 90s didn't necessarily have. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're not pulling the ladder up behind us. We want, like me, for example, I want the future students of Cleveland State University to have a better experience than I did. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying I had a bad experience. Yeah. But... I mean, that's that's how I was raised, too. My parents didn't have terrible experiences growing up. 
they want me to have a better life experience than they did. And it's going to be the same with my kids. I want them to have a better life experience than I did mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. So it's, it's more of a sense of community that in, in my opinion yeah. is causing a lot more Gen Z people to consider organizing their workplace and to make everybody who they work with like three steps up on the ladder. Yeah. I also think Gen Z is so much more uh, tech savvy. Mm-hmm. You know, when Gen Z employees see stuff on Twitter like Starbucks workers unionizing, REI workers unionizing, congressional staffers unionizing. The Senate? Exactly. It's like they will see this and go, why the hell can't I do that at my job? The thing is, is that you can't. Every worker in this country is entitled, you know, to be part of the be part of a union if they choose to. That's their right. Doesn't matter what your reasoning is. If you want to be a if you want to start a union just because you want to be part of a union, that is totally valid. You don't have to want better wages. You don't have to have a toxic work environment to want to unionize. You can just do it. Exactly. And I got pushed back over the summer when I was talking about uh, organizing, things like that. Because people were like, well, I like our boss. I don't see why we should have to unionize. And I was like, well, you don't. I love my boss. I don't have a problem with her. She's great. Mm-hmm. It's just, why not, you know? Yeah. Like, it, it would be better overall for everybody involved. It's also, one, because you can, and two, they're not going to be your boss forever. Who knows how, what management is going to be like after you're gone or after your boss is gone. It's not – unionization shouldn't be about, you know, you hate your boss. I mean, that certainly happens. Mm-hmm. And a union is a good way to protect yourself from bad bosses. But, you know, like I said, you don't have to have a toxic work environment to want to unionize. I think that a lot of times when people don't have a toxic work environment or they, quite frankly, don't care, Mm -hmm. that's where you see people who are, I'm not going to say selfish, but it's those, that's when people are like, oh, well, I'm only going to be here for a summer. I'm only working here for a summer. I don't need to, like, this job doesn't need to be unionized. There's people who have those jobs year Mm -hmm. round. So they also would benefit from a union. I feel like everybody would benefit from one. And because of that, there there are people who complain about quality of life issues and they put blame on the government, but there's something that people can do on the ground Mm -hmm. and that is organize their workplace. They can get paid more. They can get more benefits, things like that. Yes, Joe. Sorry, I just silenced one of my alarms so it wouldn't go off in six minutes. Understandable. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to talk about with REI or labor in general? Unionize your workplace. Do it. Do it. Do it. It's your right. And hats off to REI workers in Cleveland and everywhere, honestly. It, that takes a lot of guts because you can face a lot of pu- pushback from management. But let me tell you, it is totally worth it because you're going to create a much better work environment for yourself and your coworkers now, but also, you know, employees years down the road, maybe after you're long gone, you're going to establish something that outlasts you. 
Right. And once you, once you get to that point, like once you do organize your workplace, keep that culture going. Mm-hmm. Like I, I've shown up to Starbucks a couple of times last couple of weeks and you're wearing a union pin, mm-hmm. things like that. Just it's, it's the small things. Yeah. Promote that type of culture, that type of behavior and everybody would be better off. Yeah. So what's going on in Ohio? So last week, um, an abortion rights group, actually a, a, a multiple abortion rights groups in the state filed a petition for summary language for a proposed ballot measure to protect abortion in the state. Um, now, it goes through a lengthy process of being approved by the attorney general, who is Dave Yost, who will try to find language and try to invalidate the uh, proposed amendment. But, you know, if it's approved by his office and the ballot board, um, they will be able to start gathering signatures. So do you know what the process is to collect signatures? I know that one of them is you have to get signatures from 44 of the 88 counties in Ohio. Mm -hmm. That way you're not just going to Cuyahoga, Franklin, and Hamilton and getting signatures from all the liberal leftist Democrats from the cities. urban dwellings. And at the same time, if it's something that is a conservative, like, ballot measure, you don't get signatures from just, like, Madison and the place Lake, places like that. So I I know 44 out of the 88 counties is one of the requirements. Do you know any others? Yeah, so it is very detailed process. I mean, for good reasons, you know, for the reasons you mentioned. Um, So, like you said... 44 out of 88 counties equal to at least 5% of the total votes cast for the office of governor in that county, at least uh, in the last gubernatorial election. And overall, the petition must gather at least 10% of the total votes cast for governor in the last gubernatorial election. So, and this is from the Ohio Capital Journal. That means they would need at least 442,958 valid signatures. Now, you're going to want to get well above that because you're going to have cases where people have listed the wrong address, people that aren't actually registered to vote are going to sign it. So you're going to want to get well over that threshold so that you have wiggle room in case a lot of signatures do get thrown out. So you're a member of Lake County Dems. This is true. Does Lake County, where there's, how many vacancies are on your central committee? Oh, goodness. 70. Does Lake County and all three Democrats that live there have a plan to gather signatures? I think the stages are still very, you know, it's early on, but we are, and I don't want to speak for anyone, but I know I'm ready to gather signatures once the time comes. Good answer, Joe. Because this is, you know, Ohio's very lucky that we actually have popular referendum. You know, not every state in the country does that. And... You know, this is an opportunity for Ohio voters to show directly whether or not they support, you know, the right to abortion. Regardless of where you stand on the issue, Ohioans should be making decisions about important policy issues like this, not legislators that, you know, are from gerrymandered legislative districts. That's a topic for another time. Yeah. (laughs) I think that. We're also in a fortunate position that um, the current abortion 
like laws mm-hmm. on the books are like paused. Yeah. Um, I remember prior to the Dobbs decision, even like years before the Dobbs decision or a year or whatever, people were talking and scared of the fact that Ohio is one of the states that had a trigger law, a yeah. trigger ban. Soon as Rose overturned, an abortion law goes into effect. And I think Ohio is, I think it's six weeks. It is six weeks, yeah. Ohio has a six-week abortion ban, which that's barely long enough for a person who can get pregnant to realize that they missed their period. Yeah. I mean, like you said, like you have politicians that are making laws about stuff they don't understand. Six weeks, I mean, you know, that's two weeks late on your period, right? And yeah. I mean, roughly. Depends on the person, but yeah. Exactly. And there's a lot of, you know, I don't want to get too into the weeds about it, but not everyone's the same. People are different. And, you know, 99 people in a, in a state legislator shouldn't be making policy that affects every person that gives birth. The the current the six week uh, ban doesn't have any exceptions for rape or incest, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you remember the ten year old girl who had to go to Indiana of all places, one of the reddest states in the Midwest, one of the reddest states in the country. I don't know if that's necessarily true, but I, when I think of Indiana, I think of corn and Mike Pence. So yeah, that's actually a pretty <laughs> valid like summarization of the state. But she had to go to Indiana to receive proper health care. Yeah, so it's it's a problem. But fortunately, we're in a position where uh, state court basically froze it. Yeah. And now there's a court battle. But eventually, it's going to make its way to the Ohio Supreme Court. And most of the justices on the Ohio Supreme Court aren't pro-choice. Yeah. There's a pretty good chance that they say six weeks is what it is. Not only are they not pro-choice, I think they're very partisan in nature. Very partisan. And if you're... A policy wonk per se you probably agree or you might think that judges are essentially politicians in robes yeah yeah i would agree with that and and one of the big things on the ohio supreme court that bothers me is a individual named pat dewine mm. who shares a very common last name with uh what's his name richard dewine richard oh michael dewine the governor, governor of the state oh, of ohio yeah. dick dewine yeah, I remember him. Isn't his real name Richard? I feel like we talked about that. And I mentioned on the last show. I just don't remember. I'm pretty sure his real name is Richard, actually. I'm just going to call him Dick DeWine. Because if his name is Richard, it's a short nickname. And I also don't like the guy, so Dick DeWine. <laughs> um, but it's that's, it just doesn't seem right to me. Your son's on the Supreme Court. It shouldn't be the case. I feel like there's a conflict of interest there. I mean, there was a lot of talk about that when... Uh you know, the state Supreme Court threw out our legislative maps four times and he did not recuse himself. But that's that is a topic for another day, because don't even get me started about gerrymandering. I want to uh, fact check myself. His name is Richard. So. Yeah, what I said stands. He is Dick DeWine. That's just a factual statement. His middle name is Michael. That's why he goes by Mike. And I think in our conversation that we had in private, you said that Dick DeWine doesn't sound good. So he goes by Mike. Well, I don't care. And that's just my opinion, but... When you sign whatever he's... I don't know if it was a law, but whatever where you don't have 
you have permitless carry in the United in Ohio. <laughs> I don't like you. I don't like you. Permitless carry is not a good idea, even if you're an educated individual like myself. The other thing is, is that, I mean, I don't know whether or not this amendment actually passes, right? I don't know. I I don't know if polling about the issue is exactly if you can really put a lot of faith into it yet. But for reference, um, there was, I want to say like eight states last year that protected the right to an abortion. Some of them are weird states. One of the, uh, we have Kentucky, Montana, Kansas. And then, of course, you have places like California and Vermont that overwhelmingly decided to protect the right to an abortion. But you're having very conservative, very red states that are deciding, yeah, there is a constitutional right to an abortion in our state. And I think that says a lot about where the GOP is at on abortion, where, quite frankly, their policy stance on abortion is really, really out of step with even people that are pro-life. A lot of people support exceptions for rape and incest. I I have been a big proponent. I don't call myself pro-abortion. Nobody's pro-abortion because mm-hmm. that's just a, it's a sad step that some people have to take, and that's what conservatives do. Mm-hmm. Reactionary conservatives they say pro-abortion. No one's pro-abortion. You're pro-choice. Yeah, it's a medical decision that some people have to make. Nobody wants to. Nobody's pro amputee. Nobody's like, oh, I'm so excited to go get my leg chopped off. It's the it's the same thing. No one's yeah. excited to go to surgery. No one's excited to. Uh, some people aren't excited to go to the dentist, but yeah. And that's the thing. It's a medical decision. You know, I'm Catholic. I go to church. That it is not my decision. You know, if someone can get an abortion or not. Quite frankly, my opinion doesn't matter. Because it's like it's not something that's going to affect me. I I'm a dude. I can't give birth. That is a an abortion is a choice between a person and their doctor, not the state, not the church, no one else except that doctor and that person seeking an abortion. That's that's final. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at uh, data from Pew Research mm-hmm. um, about abortion in Ohio. And granted, their sample size was 1,000 people, which has typically a margin of error, like 4% either way. But 48% of Ohioans say that abortion should be legal in all or most cases. 47% of Ohioans say that it should be illegal in all or most cases. And 4% are undecided. So strategy for people campaigning in the state to make abortion a constitutional right in Ohio. How do you get those 4% of Ohioans on your side? Mm -hmm. What do you think? I think the biggest thing is going to be framing it as a, like a healthcare issue and a fundamental rights issue. I'm not saying, I mean, Ultimately, yeah, it's about abortion, of course. But making sure people know, like, this is a personal decision. 
that should be protected because the state shouldn't be allowed to overreach their, you know, overreach their bounds and tell people what to do in their private lives. Like, this isn't a partisan issue. States like Kansas yeah. have protected abortion. So it's it's really a matter of for people who can get pregnant, for people who this is going to affect. The strategy needs to be look at states where it's illegal. Yeah. Ten-year-old girls who have been raped have to go to Indiana to get an abortion. People who, I mean, states that have already banned abortion are coming at random things that are correlated with abortion and reproductive health care, like birth control. Yeah. Even condoms in some situations. The other thing is, is, um, you know, there's laws that aren't clarified enough where it's banning abort abortions for things like ectopic pregnancies, which mm-hmm. are life threatening. Mm-hmm. And you have states that are trying to say, oh, you could just reinsert it. Uh, you can't like medically that's it it's not it's impossible you can't reinsert an ectopic pregnancy i think it's arkansas whose recent legislation is so vague that it would make miscarriages a punishable offense yeah like that's one not something you can really control Mm -hmm. like this is going to be really terrible and we've already talked about like rape and stuff but just a trigger warning for anybody listening if a pregnant person falls down the steps and the fetus dies that is a punishable crime no (laughs) you're no you're already going through just the trauma of losing your pregnancy and now the state is saying well i mean we have to investigate you because we don't know and then you lose your job you lose your family you lose your freedom because you go to jail you're essentially honestly it's it's defamation to an extent. Yeah, to an extent. You're saying they committed a crime when really it was out of their control. It is It is state-sponsored defamation. I mean, it, but all in all, it's just there are – it is a healthcare decision. It is not the business of the state. It's also causing doctors to leave the states that they worked in because they're scared to be able to do their job. Yep. And then you have cases where people are having are being forced to wait until their life is in danger so that they can have an abortion. I'm I'm forgetting the exact case, but it was out of Texas where a woman had to wait until, you know, she was essentially almost near death because in Texas, as we know, abortion is heavily restricted. And those doctors said I can't do anything for you because state law outlines that, you know, you have to be at the point of almost dying for an abortion to be performed. Do you remember when Texas first made it like really illegal and they had that website Yes. where you can tip off the government? One, what the fuck? Yeah. Two, I'm not going to say I did it. For legal reasons, but people across the country were just like trolling that website. Yeah, like and people were saying some crazy things. Like Governor Greg Abbott had an abortion, and good, good. I mean, activism—you need to let politicians and people in charge know we're not going to put up with this bullshit. Quite frankly, it's not their business, 
And if you can't get the point across in elections, you need to do grassroots work. You need to take activist steps, like filing for petitions to protect abortion in your state. I was I just looked it up. They took the website down because of that. Oh, Good. Texas. Good. Oh, Texas. Oh, Texas. I wish Beto won. But Blue Texas is a conversation for uh, maybe 2024. Blue Texas is actually inevitable. But Bl- anyways. Blue Texas is inevitable. Blexus? Blexus? <laughs> anyways. Oh, that reminds me. I wrote a paper today, and I talked about um, essentially comparing the Articles of Confederation to the EU. And I'm not going to like drone on about this, but I said uh, flex it for Florida leaving the union. I said jer- jerks it. Don't know how I would have pronounced it, but it's Georgia exit and a new new exit for New York. New exit. Texit. Texit. Yeah, but that's boring. Oregon. Or Nana. That's how Eminem rhymed with orange. Orange with banana. Or Nana. Anyways, that's um, actually that's actually really good marketing. I won't lie. <laughs> if Oregon ever decides to leave the union, take notes. Take take notes. Take notes. So moving on, just I want to talk about it just for a second because there's no real news out of it. But um, episode one, we talked about Larry Householder and his corruption trial with HB6 and First Energy, mm-hmm. whatever else. Um, the trial hopefully is coming to an end real soon. Um, as today, the jury went into deliberation. So, Joe, I don't know if you followed it, but do you think that it's open and shut? I mean, we already talked about this, so I don't want to talk about it for too long. But I mean, personally, I think it's open and shut. The evidence is there. It's whether or not are you actually going to charge the former speaker of the Ohio House. God, I hope. I hope. I know Republicans who hope. It's just, it's wrong. Yeah. I mean, these people need to be held accountable. Like, if you're not going to hold people accountable that are in power, I mean, you're setting a precedent that they can do whatever the hell they want and not expect any kind of pushback. So... Keeping the topic of state legislatures doing crazy, weird shit. What did the Tennessee state legislature do? So, uh, Tennessee recently passed a bill that restricts, and this is language from the law that was pa- that was passed, adult cabaret performances in public or in the presence of children's and bans them from occurring within a 1,000 feet of schools, public parks, or places of worship. Um, now, this was also actually passed uh, in conjunction with transgender, or bans on transgender-affirming care for minors, things like hormone therapy and surgeries and whatnot. Um, but on, the, like, on banning drag, essentially, in the state, like, that is such a a clear violation of the first amendment because that's just free expression like not even talking about drag as an art and how crazy you have to be to want to that you're getting mad at people for like enjoying something that's not hurting anyone you're violating the first amendment and this is coming from a state that is overwhelmingly conservative you know people that say they claim to love the constitution of the country of the u.s is banning freedom of expression i think there was a similar like bill that was tried that republicans tried to pass in florida and arizona and i'm pretty sure it failed 
in both states, which is weird coming from Florida. Yeah. But tropical hungry is what I call it. Explain. Uh, hungry. Tropical um, hungry. <laughs> hungry is a country in Europe. It is led by a very authoritarian government, led by Viktor Orban, who has banned books, has banned LGBTQ expression, things like that. Ron DeSantis is basically just Governor Orban at this point. Florida's turned into our little hungry. It's a it's a pain in my side. It's like a thorn, almost. Do you have a householder update? No, I don't have a householder update. I wish I did. <laughs> I wish I could say live on the show that Larry Householder is being arrested, but I can't. I, I made that face because I was looking at um an article from NPR talking about the Arizona anti-drag bill. Mm. And the picture in question says that a drag performer, M.D. Hunter, whose stage name is Athena Sinclair, testifies before an Arkansas Senate panel. And they are dressed in drag, and it is awesome. It's kind of like in the 80s during the like, satanic panic stuff. Oh, yeah. They brought in like rock stars to testify in front of Congress, and they wore their full getup <laughs> in some cases. Yeah. It's crazy. It's, it's insane. But I, it's just it's a blatant attack on free speech. Yeah. And the wording that they used was adult cabaret performances. Honestly interpreted differently an adult cabaret performance could just be a stand-up comedian who uses the f word or in the most extreme sense a burlesque show or anything like that but they're trying to equivalent drag with stripping could be and it's musicals. not the same it could, exactly could a musical to to anybody who doesn't know the definition of cabaret it's like a nightclub performance, essentially, but it's the way that the seating is arranged. Mm-hmm. Speci- like specifically, cabaret seating. It's a circular table where everybody sits on one third of the table so they can eat and drink, but also face the stage. Mm-hmm. I mean, drag is fun. You ever been to a drag show, Joe? I have. It's- I'm friends with people that do drag. They're one. They're f- they're cool people. They're very talented, and also drag shows are really fun to go to. They're just really fun. Yeah, it's like a concert, but like just a lot more like crowd interaction. It's, yeah, a lot more interaction. These people are like they're really outgoing, and you know they're trying to demonize people that do drag. Whether you're a drag queen or a drag king, mm-hmm. I mean, fundamentally, or a drag artist. Yeah, like. They just don't like seeing things that don't fit their worldview. These legislators that are passing these bans. It comes down to something that we talked about last week. It's just culture war bullshit. That is the only thing that the GOP has to campaign on Mm -hmm. for any election anywhere. They say, oh, election security. The elections are fine. They say, oh, the, the deficit or whatever. But they're holding the economy hostage. And also in rack Congress. up the de- deficit. As that well. too. <laughs> that too. I'm more than happy to use our brand new Instagram and Twitter. Please go follow um, to post like the the amount of debt that Trump like I think culminated is the word I'm thinking. Yeah. But accumulated. Accumulated. That's the word. But it's it's culture war bullshit, and it's it, I mean it makes headlines. We we're reading one right now. 
I mean, you know, a little off topic, but look at, you know, Glenn Youngkin's campaign for Virginia governor mm-hmm. back in 2021. Yeah. He yeah, focused so. on, you know, the school board stuff. He focused on culture war issues. And now people are not happy with his time as governor. Correct. And here's what's funny. This is our second time today talking about Glenn Youngkin. Do you happen to remember what the first thing that we talked about Glenn Youngkin was? I don't think so. You don't remember? No. Um, we were talking about the TPUSA field representative for Northern Ohio mm. earlier today. And on that person's Instagram, it says, quote, in case I wasn't clear enough, Glenn Youngkin's 2021 victory was a psyop to give the right false hope, believing maybe we could just win those midterms. Look at that red wave coming. Then the next post, there was never going to be a red wave because the establishment was never going to let that happen. I can't believe I'm in agreement with TPUSA. I'm so glad they recognize a red wave was never going to happen. Say that. Say I. I. Joseph Nappy. Joseph Nappy. Agree. Agree. With. With. Turning Point USA. Their false hope of a red wave. Mm, You did Mm. good. I was going to get that sound bite. (laughs) For when I primary you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But anyways. um, The right is so obsessed with defending free speech. Especially on college campuses. Yes. Specifically, that's TPUSA's job. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't disagree. Free speech should be protected in almost every single circumstance, mm-hmm. which is why I support drag shows. Yeah, I don't support banning drag shows because I care about the First Amendment. And they should support. They should support drag shows as well. They should support hitting the gwitty, Joe. But what are we hitting the gwitty in Congress? You would think that they could just set aside just the weird traditionalist culture war crap and just say look we don't want to restrict anyone's freedom of expression because that is a fundamental core to our beliefs as constitutional conservatives quote unquote but they won't i think we can blame social media for the culture war stuff because this stuff has always happened gay people have always been there oh yeah black people have always been there Mm -hmm. drag queens have always been there drag kings drag artists have always been there but now you can sit on your couch and see a video of a drag performer and for reactionary conservatives, it pisses them off Yeah. or more likely there's a, it just makes them uncomfortable. And I saw a TikTok today that said, if this video makes you uncomfortable or if this photo makes you uncomfortable, go see a therapist. Talk about your deep seated homophobia, mm-hmm. figure it out, figure out how to fix it because it was just a picture of transportation secretary mayor Pete ah. and his husband mm-hmm. and their baby. They're happy living their life. And a lot of people are just pissed off. He's in love. He has a kid. He loves his family. He works really hard and they're pissed about his lifestyle. Yeah. And it's the same with drag. They're just living their best life, doing what they think is fun. It's art. It's enjoyable. Communities enjoy it. If you don't, don't go. Don't go. 
Don't go. Block the account that you're looking at. And I know what a lot of, I think, anti-drag activists, I guess that's what you <laughs> Anti-drag activists? Um, oh, terrible. You know, a lot of them have been really, really mad about things like Drag Queen Story Hour. And they try to equate it to, they falsely equate it to like, oh, it's an inappropriate show. It's like you're taking a kid to a strip club. One, no, it's not. It's someone reading to kids. And actually, it's been shown that when kids are being, like when they're being read to and they're being engaged with during that process, they are more likely to understand that material. And, you know, reading to kids, it, like, why do you, why are you against it? Like, you're against you, reading to kids? Are you against reading? Are you against literacy? I mean, I didn't book bans in Florida. Well, actually, yeah, they probably are against literacy. <clears throat> but I didn't know we'd come to a point that we're actively against reading to children. Uh, because those who do read to children, uh, according to the new Tennessee bill, um, people are punishable by a fine up to $2,500 or up to a year in jail, according to uh, this article by NPR. It's uh, it's also really reminiscent of how um, they would break up gay nightclubs in New York during the 90s and the 80s, is that they would use... Um, decency laws in order to go after LGBTQ nightclub goers. And this is really scarily similar to that. And, you know, history, history doesn't repeat. It rhymes and it's starting to rhyme again. And it's, it's honestly, it's scary, especially coming from someone that is part of the LGBTQ community. I don't, I'm going to be mad and angry when you're trying to attack my community and that you should expect people to be mad about this law. So building off of what you just said, a article was published on October 20th, 2022. And I used to have a blog, Shaw Talk. Lots of people read it. Do it in the voice real quick. Lots of people read it. Shaw Talk. Lots of good material, many smart people. I read it, actually. It was very good. Did you happen to read my response to an article from The Federalist? I don't think I did, no. So the article in question was called, We Need to Stop Calling Ourselves Conservatives, and it's a nine-minute read, but it basically says the quiet part out loud. He argues that through culture war stuff, Mm -hmm. conservatives need to drop the small government approach and instead embrace a right version of big government which to anybody who's educated it's what joe it's fascism that is the f word it is fascism it is the f word and at some point in the article and it just reminded me of it um he said that trans people should be put in jail he said that drag queens should be put in jail and he hinted that gay people should be put in jail cisgendered gay people should be put in jail and it's quite frankly terrifying absolutely terrifying that anybody on the right has the balls to say something like that that is the quiet part yeah 
but he said it out loud. It's insane. It's scary. It's scary, and and I understand that it's they're the he's the fringe. He's the yeah. far right, and there are a lot of conservatives out there who ne- aren't necessarily reactionaries. They aren't bigots. They they honestly, there's conservatives who are gay mm-hmm. who don't care who wants the GOP to, instead of focusing on drag queens and woke math textbooks or whatever, to focus on policy. Yeah. It's like Mitt Romney was like, we need to focus on this, this, and this instead of these things. And I'm not saying that I like Mitt Romney, but he's one of the good ones. It's, there, there are still conservatives that are just conservative on fiscal policy, and I genuinely believe that they think they're doing what's best for the country. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't agree with their economic views, but you know, people like Rick, Mitt Romney. Were you about to say Rick Scott? Yeah, you were about to say the. I was about to say the wrong. One hundred percent, the wrong person. Um, but. They're, they still exist. They're unfortunately, I think, a, a minority of that party now. But, you know, they're still out there. And I hope that they're able to course correct their own party because it needs to be put in place. So, um, is there anything else you want to add about First Amendment, drag queens, culture wars go to a drag show like support your local community the drag queens and kings and artists put a lot of work and a lot of money honestly into their makeup and their uh their show and their performance go to a drag show support them make it known that you support art in your community and uh, i challenge anybody who thinks that they would be uncomfortable to go 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 in with an open mind drop whatever opinion you have on drag queens drag kings drag artists beforehand before you walk in just drop it go in try to enjoy it work your ass off to enjoy it and you probably will and your opinion will change honestly i this is going to sound very wrong and i'm embarrassed about this but we support character development we do support character development and i'm happy to say that i enjoy drag shows but my first drag show i didn't know what to expect mm-hmm. i was almost I, I i was uncomfortable when i showed up i tried to have fun and i did yeah and now i'm going to another one real soon actually on campus yeah me too everybody listening should go by the way um adam you listen to this almost every week you should go Jaden, you should go um anybody else listening you should also go samira Everyone should go. Well, but when is the drag show, Kale? That's a good question. Um, April something. Oh, okay. Um, I thought you would know. I'll have it by the end of the show. <laughs> Moving on. International mm. story coming out of the uh, Near East to some historians and the Middle East to the rest of the world. Um, what's going on in Israel-Palestine? So in recent weeks and um our information for this is coming from slate um benjamin netanyahu the prime minister of israel has performed it has proposed reforms to israel's uh supreme court 
um, there has been a lot of pushback from both lawyers, um, just citizens in Israel and Palestine. Um, but it's also a really concerning development because of like the direction that Israel has taken since Benjamin Netanyahu has become very prominent in Israeli politics. Now, I'm not claiming to be an expert on Israeli politics, but I am, I do, I find this very interesting because Israel is a democratic country. It elects a parliament. It has, it has elections very often, actually. They've had a few in the past two years, but Benjamin Benjamin Netanyahu was charged with fraud and bribery. And I think that his proposed reforms to the Supreme Court is a way to try to get around any further prosecution. And it's just very concerning to see a country that's treated as a very important U.S. ally starting to backslide on democracy. Democratic backsliding is happening across the world. Yeah. Like, arguably started year 2000 Mm -hmm. when Putin was elected. But since then, I mean, there's a reason why you called Florida tropical Hungary. There's a reason why the EU is skeptical of Poland. It's democratic backsliding. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, January 6th was an example. Um, Things like that. But... I'm reading this article from Slate. One of the proposed measures would require a supermajority of Israel's Supreme Court justices, 80 to 100 percent of them, Mm -hmm. to strike down any piece of legislation passed by the Knesset as unconstitutional. Could you imagine if our court had to do that? Nothing would be. That'd be it's just an insane like proposal. I know it also, um, it's proposing, you know, it's overhauling the process of, like, how their justices are selected, and is it's making it overtly more political. Another um, reform to saying things that are unconstitutional, uh, saying th- what things are unconstitutional. Yeah. The Knesset is, I think, 120 people. Yeah. And they would require a simple majority from the Knesset to overturn a Supreme Court ruling. So it's 61 people. I don't think that that it makes any sense. That's just a blatant power grab yeah. from Benjamin Netanyahu, and I don't know what his party is. Do you know his party? Um, Likud, I think. Now, they're in a gigantic coalition, coalition government because of how the Knesset operates. It's impossible to get... Uh, a majority with only one party. That's just the nature of how their legislators set up. But another interesting proposal is that it conveniently grants immunity to prime ministers, ministers, and members of the Knesset for any crime they might commit in relation to their position while in office. Hmm. Hmm. Which, as we know, Benjamin Netanyahu was investigated for fraud and bribery. 
So this little proposal is a very, very clear uh, personal issue for him so that he can avoid any future uh, prosecution or being held accountable. And that's honest. That's what that's what Putin did. Yeah. He made it so that the Russian Federation couldn't prosecute uh, Boris Yeltsin and quite frankly him after he leaves if he ever leaves office but um a couple days ago or maybe yesterday i forget uh there was a new york times article Mm -hmm. that talks about the protests over netanyahu's um reforms to the court they're talking about the military protests have boiled over from the pop the like general public and it's now in the military um i saw a photo on Instagram, also posted by the, no Washington Post, mm. not New York Times, Washington Post, that was a airplane, like a jet from the military, taking off for training and then going the complete opposite direction in protest. Pilots are skipping training sessions. They're, uh, or if they go, they're doing crazy stuff like that to protest the overhaul of the judicial system. Which, like, honestly. That's kind of awesome to just not do your job. And you're the military. I mean... This is the third time I said this. Could you imagine (laughs) if somebody in the U.S. Air Force did that? They would be court-martialed. Yeah. It would be a public trial on TV. Everybody would be like, whoa. It's, It's crazy. It's just really... And I've... I'm gonna. It's like I'm beating a dead horse, but seeing more and more countries just starting to fall victim to democratic backsliding is just really concerning. Not even from, because we've seen it happen in the U.S., in Hungary, in Italy, and you know, in other countries where more fringe far-right parties have been gaining popularity and gaining power. It's. It's a very interesting development when, after the Soviet Union fell, if anyone that is listening is Gen X, cough, cough, my dad, there was a lot of belief that after the, ni- after the collapse of the Soviet Union, liberal democracy was just going to be the standard for the world. It was, you know, this, like, proposed age of democracy where countries like Russia... And the former Soviet Union would democratize and adopt, like, Western liberal democracy. Looking back, boy, were they wrong. Boy, were (laughs) they wrong. But it's just, democracy is a really fragile thing. It's also a very beautiful thing. And it's also very beautiful. And I don't want to get too wishy-washy and philosophical. You should. But it is not an easy thing to maintain. It is not. It takes a lot of effort and a lot of work. And it takes a lot of personal responsibility of politicians, regardless of whatever country they're from, to uphold that institution. Democracy is, I mean, I'm biased because I love democracy, but it is the best way to organize your country. It, it, It just is. Sorry, I'm right on that one. You can argue with me if you want, but I'm still right. Democracy is one of the best ways to organize a country, and it needs to be protected. 
and policies like what Benjamin Netanyahu's government is proposing is a threat to democracy. And it needs to, you know, people need to condemn it. So several hundred years ago, when the Federalists and Anti-Federalists were duking it out in public, which, granted, I wish people just would write essays like they did back then to put in newspapers. But um, I think you might have said several hundred years ago by accident. Anyways, um, (laughs) (laughs) um, one of the big arguments um, for the Anti-Federalist side was when Rome got too big the republic yeah when the republic got too big too many people were voting it was susceptible to factionalism Mm -hmm. and because of that it fell and somebody like caesar came to power and it never went back to being a true democracy yeah and i forget which one of the federalist papers it was and who wrote it but one of them like responded to that saying factionalism is inevitable yeah parties are inevitable stuff like that but there is a way to prevent the collapse of democracy. And I find that to be incredibly true. There's several instances in American history where democracy was challenged, yeah. where the rule of law was challenged. 1860s, the union's still here. Mm-hmm. The 1960s, when there was political unrest, the union's still here. And after January 6th, the union is still here. And throughout that time, it's because of the rule of law. And the rule of law is something that Trump specifically hijacked to mean something different. And when you say that, a lot of people think it's something completely different. The rule of law is, according to Oxford Dictionary, the restriction of the arbitrary exercise of power by subordinating it to well-defined and established laws. And backsliding is ignoring the rule of law they're mm-hmm. skirting around it and that's what's happening in israel right now that's what's happening in poland and hungary and in some parts of the united states yeah it's it's nuts it's nuts and you know i guess to bring it back here to the u.s it's really it's really incredible to see states themselves enacting just blatantly anti-democratic, small-D democratic legislation. Anti-drag bills in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. You have a bill in Florida that would just outlaw the Democratic Party in the state. I'm glad you brought that up. We'll talk (laughs) about that next. But it is so clear what is happening. And personally, I don't think enough people are concerned about it or angry about it. The problem is with the, the Florida bill there are too many people in our country who would be like good yeah fuck the thames but if a bill was brought up in new york or california that would essentially ban the republican party i would be furious i'd be pissed i would i would uh maybe a little extreme i would get, get rid of my democratic party membership because you can't one it's just wrong you can't just silence people that you don't agree with that's not that's such a loser attitude that you can't debate the opposition because you can't defend your ideas. But also it's just against our principles, not only 
you know, as a democracy, but as Americans, that's not how we do things. This is why we have public debates. That's why we have elections every two years. I mean, we have an election every year, there, Joe. I was just about every to say, year. There are elections every yeah. year. Yeah, yeah. You're gonna sleep on your couch tonight. I'm gonna make sure you do it. I'm gonna lock your door and take your cat. No, you're leaving Lyndon. No, I'm taking no, your cat. He'll actually probably fight you. He's very combative. Former President of the United States Lyndon Johnson, who is in our new logo. He is. You should check out the new logo, which is also on our website. And Twitter and Instagram. And Instagram. Uh, it was also made by the fantastic Victoria Fields. It includes me, Joe, and former President Lyndon Johnson, Joe's cat. Um, but anyway, self-plug over. Back to Florida. <laughs> Tropical hungry, as tropical Joe calls hungry, it. but um, banning the Democratic Party in Florida. It's going to end up being my like slogan for this show, but it's nuts. It's, it's nuts. nuts, and I don't even know if it's a genuine. I feel like it's a genuine position of whatever nut job legislator in Florida proposed it, but. <laughs> You know, they're framing it as, oh, you know, it's the ultimate, <laughs> it's the ultimate cancellation bill. We're canceling the left. Arr. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. Are you? You know what we could do? We could put, we can get merch that says it's nuts because it's nuts. Because it is. It's nuts. It's, I wish I could, I mean, I am laughing about it, but I wish I could make a joke about it. But in reality, I'm just, ah. I don't even know what to say. Anything that happens in Florida, I wholeheartedly think can happen here because we have a GOP supermajority in our state. Yeah. So anything whatsoever that happens in Florida, I am terrified can happen in the state of Ohio. Yeah. I don't see any reason why the Ohio state legislature won't ban the democratic party. Cause there are some of the like crazies in our state legislature. Yeah. There are some, there are, are many that aren't, which is why I don't see the bill in Florida succeeding, because there are a good amount of moderate Republicans. Yeah. There are a good amount of moderate Democrats, and people don't see that. Conservatives don't see that. I mean, I we see it, but... <sighs> Banning the Democratic Party. You know what? Let them. Let them. And let them complain when California bans the Republican Party. I just think it would be uh, really cool if... If they do ban the Democratic Party in Florida, they could just rebrand as the new Democratic Party. The new one. The new one. Just, I just think that'd be a cool rebrand. Like how Minnesota has the Democratic Farmer Labor Party. Yeah, I was going to say, don't they have some some unique ag-driven party? Yeah. But, anyways, that's all I got for today. Personally. I was going to say we're uh, we're almost out of time here. Um, I pulled it up. The Cleveland State University LGBTQ Center is hosting a drag show, student drag show, on April fourth. Um, looks like there's no time listed, but that's okay. Um, did you go to the show last year, Joe? I did not. No, I did not either, unfortunately. But I'm going this year, and everyone should. Everyone should. You know what? And I'm going to do the thing that Dems do every election. If you go, bring five people and ask those five people to bring five people. Um, yeah. We could have like 10,000 people. 
I also just wanted to add this because I was thinking, check your voter registration, make sure it's updated. Um, the Cleveland State Office of Civic Engagement was out and about on campus today making sure that um, people had updated voter registration and they were filling out their absentee ballot forms because there is a primary coming up in May. Yep. Um, not going to lie, I forget what date. I'm probably voting by mail, so that's not necessarily the most important part of it for me. So, Anything else, Joe? No. I think I'm also good. So uh, we'll see everybody next week. Oh, last thing, an announcement. Next week is Cleveland State spring break. I am going to Columbus. Um, So Joe and I are actually starting separate shows, separate little side shows. Um, Joe, what are you planning on doing? I'm not going to lie. I'm not quite sure yet. Good answer. we'll be bringing on a guest. A guest? Yes. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I'm. I will be talking about January sixth. Um, I've I've written an article for the Cleveland State Vindicator on it. I've talked to uh, Cleveland State Poli Sci Professor David Stack about the uh, effects of polarization, how it led to January sixth. But recently in the news, Tucker Carlson released footage from January sixth, essentially downplaying what happened. So I'm going to talk about that. Um, those will be published next week instead of the normal hour long show. So. Um, We'll see you then. All right. Goodbye, Joe. Goodbye, Kyle.